Thank you, Brenda. A good song and a good message. Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2, we'll begin in verse 1. While you're turning, we mentioned, of course, two opportunities to serve uh, others around us. Uh, starting off the new year with opportunities, and I'm sure they'll come fast and furious through the years to, uh, uh, to, to be a, a blessing to others. Of course, the family that lost everything in a house fire, there'll be ushers in the back, each foyer with a plate to help you out with that. And we'll be taking this offering up through next uh, week as well. And also uh, the uh, ABS uh, meals. Uh, Brother Jimmy Brock called me uh, a few days ago, and he said, I know this is last minute, but I've been checking with a lot of the churches, and everybody wants to schedule later on in the year. Because I told him, I said, just find where we can be plugged in. He said, I really need somebody to take January. Now, this may need, seem to be last minute, but then we've got two weeks. We can do a lot in two weeks. Now, you would be meeting with Sharon to organize all of this, but Sharon's not feeling well today. She came down with what everybody else has, a very nasty cough, uh, sinus congestion, and that sort of thing. So I'll meet with you right here. What we need is, I guess, three teams to come up with uh, 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 three meals. They love church lady food, all right? We, we gave some of that one, one year. You know, we gave one night. And the kids just went nuts. They said, it's just like Thanksgiving all over again. So if you want to cook that, if you want to bring in, of course, they always do pizza. They always do, of course, the chicken strips. Those kind of things that we might can do. But I just need three teams to take care of three Monday nights uh, up in January. we got a few weeks, of course, to do that. Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Would you stand as the scriptures read, please? Now, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came from Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had gathered all the chief priests and scribes of the people together, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They said to him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go search carefully for the young child. When you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come worship him also. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star which they had seen in the east went before them until it came and stood over where the young child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. When they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense and myrrh now being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way let's pray together father we thank you for the christmas story we thank you that this story is good for the entire year but father we ask you to give us the thoughts that we need to live by and father deal with us with the truths that will confront us and challenge us if there's any need for change and decision in our life, for it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. <clears throat> I know that it's New Year's Day, and I know that this is part of the Christmas story. 
You might think, well, didn't, didn't we finish the Christmas story last week on Christmas Day? Well, if you look at this passage of Scripture, you realize these events that we're looking at today happen somewhat later than the events that's, uh, of course, mentioned in Luke chapter 2. Somewhat later than the week of Jesus' birth. Could be months later. Could be a year or more later. We don't know exactly when it happened, but we know that it happened sometime after the events that we look at in the book of Luke. But we also look at this passage of Scripture very closely, and it gives us some excellent thoughts to guide us through the upcoming year. So if you want to put it this way, this is a Christmas passage of Scripture, but it's also a really good New Year's passage of Scripture. It's a twofer. It's a holiday twofer today. So that's what we're getting today in Matthew chapter 2. It starts off this way. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen a star in the east and have come to worship him. There's some important questions that we see in this passage of Scripture. These two verses raise up some questions. We all need these answers. First of all, who were these men? They were called wise men. They had an actual title. The title is called Magi, M-A-G-I, Magi. Who were these guys? These were educated men from Persia. Now, that's an understatement. These weren't just educated men. These were experts in math, science, philosophy, and astronomy. These would be the professors. These would be the most learned men in all of the kingdom, and they were the educators. They were also some of the most powerful people in that area of the world. Nobody came to power in the whole realm of Persia in that area. Nobody came to power without first receiving an education from these guys and mastering what they had to teach them and mastering to the point where they gave them credentials and okay. In fact, historians through the years have called these guys king makers. They determined who was royalty material. These men definitely knew royalty when they saw it, and they determined who the kings would be. So these weren't just learned men. These were experts, not just experts. They were powerful men. They were called the king makers through the centuries. How far did they travel? Historians don't know exactly where they came from, but they say we came from the east. Now, if you look at the title and you look at the direction, they would have come from Persia. They traveled over 1,300 miles. Now, travel by then would be by camel or by foot. It would take them months to get from Persia to Bethlehem. And they came all that far for a Jewish king. Well, let's ask this question. They're a long way off geographically. They're on another planet culturally over in Persia. So we're close to the culture in the land of the Hebrews. How would they know about a Jewish king? There's only one source of information that would 
tell them about a Jewish king. That is the Old Testament scriptures. Only one source. The Old Testament scriptures told them about a Jewish king. In fact, Matthew provides two Old Testament scriptures already. As we read through chapter 1 and 2. And then, of course, before we're finished with chapter 2, he gives us more. A total of over 129 Old Testament quotes or references in this book of Matthew. So you say, you mean there's 129 passages of Scripture in the Old Testament that tell us about the coming Messiah? Absolutely not. 330. 330 passages of Scripture refer to the coming of the Messiah and details about his coming, including the signal of the star. Back in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, the prophecy of, of Balaam. He talks about a star of Jacob will rise up. And then as far back as Isaiah chapter 60, Isaiah gives us even more information as we look at his book, and this was 700 years before. And notice what Isaiah says in his book. Arise and shine, your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. For behold, the darkness shall cover the earth. Deep darkness the people, but the Lord will arise over you. His glory will be seen upon you. Gentiles shall come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes all around and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar. Your daughters shall be nursed at your side. You will see and become radiant. Your heart will swell with joy. Because of the abundance of the sea shall be turned to you. The wealth of the Gentiles will come to you. The multitude of camels will cover your land. Dromedaries of Midian and Ephah, those from Sheba will come. They will bring gold and incense, and they will proclaim the praises of the Lord. 700 years before, it talks about Gentiles coming to the light. Whose light? His light. And what did they say? We've seen his star. And gather this. Not only did it predict that they would come, it predicted the gifts they would bring, gold and incense. Well, the scripture says gold, frank incense, and myrrh. Those two spices were incense. So we realize Old Testament scriptures tell specifically about the coming of a Messiah. Old Testament scriptures said this will be a signal when he comes. A star will rise up. And you'll see a star, and the Gentiles will come to his light. Now, how would they know this? As I mentioned before, 1,300 miles away, and they were on a whole different cultural planet than the Hebrews. How would they know about the king of the Jews? Well, a little history lesson. You remember last week we talked about when it looks like everything's coming unraveled? And everything's coming unglued, and we don't know why everything's happening. And then years and years later, we saw that God had instituted that all in his plan. Well, 600 years before, the Babylonians carried away some captives over to this same place. These captives were Daniel and his three partners, as well as hundreds more. Well, if you remember, Nebuchadnezzar had a dream. Daniel called all of his wise men 
all of his magi to see if they could interpret the dream. Couldn't do it. Daniel interpreted the dream, and you know, Nebuchadnezzar put him over the magi. He was the director, the manager, the supervisor, however you want to say it, over the kingmakers. Daniel, of course, brought with him his spiritual upbringing. And not only that, when they raided Jerusalem, they carried everything out of the temple over to Babylon. You know what was included? The scrolls. The scrolls. That would be the prophecies of the coming of the king. So these men knew of the Jewish king. These men knew of the signal. These men knew all of that because when it looked like everything was going wrong for Daniel and his buddies, God was putting something in place that would work out 600 years later. When we think things are going unraveled, we don't know why things could go so wrong, we can lift up our heads because it could be God is putting some things together. We may never see the outcome, but we need to trust the fact that God is in control from generation to generation to generation, no matter what changes came. In that 600 years, God's plan was unwavering. And these men knew of the coming Jewish king because of God's sovereign grace directing the events of humanity. So that's important for us to know in the upcoming year. But this passage of Scripture gives us six important lessons to follow for the upcoming year. You see, the journey from Persia to Bethlehem provides some principles for us to live by for the upcoming year. See, the upcoming year is a journey, a journey. And not only that, but we have made some specific destinations for the upcoming year. We call them New Year's resolutions. We call them some goals, and maybe your goal is to read the Bible through in a year. We call them maybe some other self-improvement, and that's great to do these things. How are we going to reach these goals? How are we going to make this year a successful year for all of us? Well, here are some principles to live by. They're very easy to remember. Number one seems to be obvious, but sometimes we miss this. They initiated a deliberate start. Now, that sounds obvious, but we miss it because we acknowledge the need for improvement, and we make some commitments, or maybe we do this. We make some good intentions, but we never get around to making that first step toward Bethlehem like the wise men did. You know, they could acknowledge, yeah, that's going to be great. I think somebody needs to go over there. Yeah, I think that he's worthy of, 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 of praise. I think he's worthy of some honor. I think he's worthy of, of somebody going over there. And then the, the next day they talk about it again, how important it is. And then the next day they talk about it again, how, how they love this guy, how they love that new Savior. But nobody ever takes the first step toward Bethlehem. You see, sometimes we never, ever take that first step to serving God, to making our lives better, to being where we need to be in God's will. And you see, it's obvious. We say, well, there's no way they can make that journey until they made the first step. How obvious can it be? Bingo. We'll never get there until we start. And they started. And they made a deliberate start. And the direction of travel, secondly, was based on Scripture. 
Their whole direction of travel was based on what they knew about Jesus, the newborn king, based in God's word. If our direction of travel through the upcoming year is not based on godly principles, we are doomed to just wander around. They had never got to Bethlehem if they didn't stick with God's word. And often our culture and our convenience and our laziness provides us everything else but God's word to live by and to travel by through the year. So they stuck with godly principles that way they could get from point A to point B and not just wander around with every change and wind. Thirdly, they were willing to take as many steps as necessary to get there. Wow. That's a big one. Sometimes our goal is going to take some steps. It's going to take some work. Listen to this. It's going to take some time. 1,300 miles. Well, I, I couldn't resist this. So I had to kind of look it up, do some research. How many steps are in a mile? Well, it kind of depends on whether you're tall or otherwise. So it depends on how long your legs are. But approximately average about 2,000 steps per mile. Now, I didn't step it off, but I'm just gauging on what I read, all right? That would be 2,600,000 steps. Oh, that's too many. That's too hard. I'll never make that many steps. There's no way we can make this happen. You know how they made it happen from Persia to Bethlehem? One step at a time. And they made it, first of all, through the expected challenges. Now, as we set goals for ourselves and we look at the upcoming year, there's some challenges that are going to be expected. Some, for some people, the challenge is, is get them and go to work every day, every day, every day, relentless. Got to go to work. Then the next day, the alarm goes off. Got to go to work. We expect those challenges. They had the expected challenges of the terrain. They had to know the resources they had along the way. And travelers knew where the stops were, and they knew where they were going to get food. All these expected challenges. Now, as we go with our goals, whether it be a health goal or a financial goal or a spiritual goal, we know there's some challenges that are going to happen. But, oh, then there's the unexpected. Weather. If it takes months to get from this place to that place and covering all different changes and elevations and, and terrain, there's going to be some unexpected weather changes. They didn't let it throw them off their trip. Sometimes we're prone to serve the Lord when everything's going like we expected it to go, but some little something happens different and it just derails us. You see, these guys took one step after another to get to where they needed to go. And we're going to have to do the same thing. Oh, this is important. Fourthly, they traveled together. They traveled together. We have come to worship the king. We have seen his star. So they traveled Together, we're going to need each other if we're going to reach our goals and make something of this year. We're not going to do it by playing the Lone Ranger and doing it by ourselves. That's why we need church. We need each other. We need to lean on each other. Two passages of Scripture. 
Old Testament and New Testament. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verse 9, passage of scripture we've read before, but, but hear what the wisdom of Ecclesiastes said. It's pretty obvious wisdom, but sometimes we forget about that when it comes to spiritual things. Two are better than one because they have good reward for their labor. If they fall, one will lift up his companion. But woe to him who is alone when he falls. He has no one to help him up. Again, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. How can one be warm alone? Though one may be overpowered by another, two can withstand him, and a threefold cord is not easily broken. Two are better than one. Three are better than two. A dozen's better than that. Three dozen's better than that. And it says when we fall, there's somebody to, to pick us up. If something's there to overpower us, two with, can withstand it. And we have the challenges that overpower us, first and foremost, discouragement, distraction. And so we realize two are better than one. So we need each other. And see, that is not only a instruction for us personally, that is a principle for us collectively, because that's what the church is intended to be, is to help one another. That gives me the New Testament scripture, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. We know this passage of scripture because uh, we use it a lot of times when it comes to church attendance. I'm going to read that, but that's not all that there is. Of course, I know you're here on New Year's Day, a holiday, so I know that you obviously see the importance of being here, but let's not lose fact, uh, uh, sight of the fact of why we're here and what are we going to do when we get here. Look at what it says in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. There it is. We need to be at church as the manner of some, but exhorting one another so much as you see the day approaching. The word exhort means to cheer each other on, to lift up each other, to strengthen each other. But look at verse 24. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. It's important to come to church. It's important for all of us to be here. But not just to show up. We've missed it if we don't do what God has asked us to do once we get here. We don't just come to church. We're called to be the church. And if we're going to be the church God wants us to be, then we consider each other to provoke to what? Love and good works. What that means is we make sure that we help each other do what's good and do what's right and reach the goal and the destination for the upcoming year. They traveled together, and it was safer that way. It was better that way. Now, two more things, and don't miss this. Of course, they had a goal. The goal wasn't just to get to Bethlehem, was it? The goal was to get to Jesus. So the goal of this year is not just to get to December 31st, right? The success of their journey was measured by what they gave, not what they gained. When they received the the information and the signal from the star, and they finally got to Bethlehem. It said they presented their gifts, gold, 
frankincense, and myrrh. Now, we all know how valuable gold is. Did you know some of these spices were more valuable per ounce than gold at that time? They gave some of the most expensive, precious things in human estimation at that time. And the success of their journey was based on what they gave. You know, you can imagine them going back to uh, Persia. They all get back in there. And, of course, some of the merchants say, well, how successful was your trip? Did you make any money? Did you do okay? you do some swapping around? What you got to show for your trip? And they said, well, we gave it all away. Are you crazy? What kind of success is that? Christian success. You see, the measure of success of our lives, not what we gain, not what we can keep, what we give away. How successful was it the last year? What were we willing to give away? To give to the Lord? To share with others? What were we willing to give? This year can be better. You see, the measure of success in the Christian life is what we're willing to give, not what we gain through the journey. Last thing. Don't forget this. The primary reason for the trip. Verse 2. Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. This is it. Don't miss it. We have come to worship him. What was the goal of the trip? To be as close as possible to Jesus and to worship him. The newborn Messiah is over there. I'm over here. I'm going to get as close as I can to him so I can worship him. What a goal for the upcoming year. The goal for our year is to be as close to Jesus Christ as we can and to worship him. We keep that in mind. Within the year, we'll turn out fine. We'll, we'll accomplish what God has for each of our lives. But we'll never accomplish it if we don't take that first step and keep the goal in mind. What's our goal for the upcoming year? Prepare for an invitation on him. Do you know the Savior that we, we sing about? Know the Savior that we read about? Do you know him personally in your life? Is it your goal to be as close to him as possible through the upcoming year and to make sure we worship him? That's the goal. We all know how we can get there. As we stand and sing, what number? Number 124.